Um, this week is about the mind, okay? And then next week, we'll, um, we'll hit the soul. And so um, let me just tell you my objective at the beginning, uh, and that is to um, convince you from a, a, like a, almost like an intellectual or a mental perspective to be excited about and to engage uh, in this campaign. That's the point of tonight. And what I want to do is I want to lay out for you the, the thinking behind what we're trying to do as a church. And so last week, again, was the heart. I preached out of Luke chapter 15 uh, in that we saw that there are not just one way, not just one way to reject God. There are two ways to reject God. One is self-salvation through um, sin, whatever you want to call, uh, like those types of decisions. Like I, I want to seek my own path in life. Another way to reject God is actually through self-righteousness, uh, a type of moral behavior that tries to put God in our O or in our debt. And, and so last week we looked at that and, and we reminded ourselves that every person is welcomed back home. Every younger brother, if we're going to use the language of the story, and every older brother is welcomed back into the family. That's what the father in the story did last week. He had to welcome back both the irreligious younger brother and the religious older brother. He had to welcome them both into repentance. And so that was the heart and out of that, I encourage all of us to be the better older brother in the story. And what is the better older brother? The better older brother is Jesus. And what does the better older brother do? At his own expense, at his own expense, he, he spends, in the story, it was a calf, a robe, and a ring, his own expense to, to bring younger brothers back into salvation, right? Or back into the family of Christ. And so I encourage each of you, be the better older brother. It's your own expense, at your own expense, expend what God has given you to bring younger brothers back in, okay? So that was, that, that was last week. This week, for some of you, you might, you might like say, I don't even have a heart, so just come after my mind, and you got a much better chance of winning me, okay? That's probably some of you. And so you're literally going to see an Excel document on the slides tonight, okay? Uh, and so that's, that's where we're headed. Tonight, And so if you walk out and you're like, well, that wasn't very spiritual. Well, you missed the point. It is. Um, but, but secondly, just, you know, go back and watch last week. Okay. Proverbs, here's, the, here's the, the, the title of the sermon, a good plan, the value of a good plan. By the way, you can apply this to whatever it is that you're doing in life, um, but we're talking about the value of a good plan. That's why we're in Proverbs. Proverbs are good for planning. We're going to look at it through three questions. How do you arrive at a good plan? What makes for a good plan? And what are the results of a good plan? Question number one, how do you arrive at a good plan? Proverbs 24.3. I'm using the amplified version tonight, um, which is the first time in my career I've ever said that. So we're using that. Here it is on the screen. Proverbs 24.3. Through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family, I could add a church, is built and by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. So how do you arrive at a good plan? Well, it says it right in the text. I love it when the answer is so clear. How do you arrive at a good plan? The first way you arrive at a good plan, and so right now, if you're picking a college or you're picking a spouse or you're uh, setting a budget or you're trying to figure out anything in life, how do you arrive at a good plan? Step one, right in the text, godly wisdom. 
Now, I did an eight-week series on wisdom about uh, nine months ago. If you want to watch the whole thing, you can. It's back online. Um, But I'll give you the the spark notes right now. Um, Godly wisdom. How do you arrive at a good plan? First, right here, through godly wisdom. Well, what is godly wisdom? Godly wisdom always starts with prayer. The very first sermon I preached was out of Joshua. And I think I was 17 at the time. And uh, the verse I preached out out of um, was that it looked good to their own eyes, but they did not first inquire of the Lord. Very first sermon I ever preached on was out of that verse. And it was the reminder that before you, before you make the decision, stop and pray. Seek God's counsel first. So where does godly wisdom start? It starts um, with prayer. And James says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Go ask him. And so uh, in this whole plan, and today as I talk about um, the home campaign and the plan for our church, um, realize that I'm talking uh, in kind of two parallel paths. Um, There is the obvious spiritual path that we are a spiritual family, okay? We are a spiritual home. Um, We use the word family around here a lot. You could interchange that word with body of Christ, okay? Um, What we mean when we say family uh, is mostly what we don't mean, and that is that church is not a building. Church is not a business, right? A building, it's about a structure. A business, it's about money. That's what businesses are about. Uh, And we're not a social club. In a social club, right, if you don't fit the norm, then you're out. If you mess up, then they kick you out. Out, right? And that's not a church. So we just use the word family, but you might have you heard the word body of Christ or something like that or group of people. Um, so don't let the word family, you know, make you think like that means we all have to like live in the same house or something like that. Okay. And we're just, that's um, one of the most popular metaphors for the church in the scriptures. So what do you do first? You pray. You pray. And so when it comes to that, I'm sorry, I was explaining the two paths. <laughs> one is the spiritual And the other one is just the practical path of this building, okay? And so I'm going to be talking about both of those uh, tonight. So godly wisdom, you pray first. Um, 14 months ago, uh, the elders and I, the three of us, there are three of us, we began to pray, as I know many of you also were, about a permanent location for our church. And um, about two months after that, in June of 2019, we approached the congregation at the time and said, uh, do you guys think it's time for us to pursue a permanent location? Um, Every person but one said yes. We felt like that was good enough buy-in to move forward. Literally every person but one. Uh, and so we, um, we kept moving forward and we kept praying and we had this land that we wanted to buy and do all of these things. And guess what? That didn't happen. And, and so over time, we've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And about three months ago, this opportunity came up and we kept praying. And, um, and then we started praying some very specific things like, God, would you um, teach us and kind of point us in the right direction through our prayers? And we kept feeling like um, those answers came and that God was continuing to affirm this direction. And so we have covered this with prayer. Now, the second element of wisdom um, is uh, not just godly uh, prayer, but seeking godly counsel. And so um, after prayer and feeling like we, we got it, you're giving us a go-ahead to move forward in this conversation, is seeking godly counsel. And so, of course, there's godly counsel already on our team uh, of elders because there's multiple um, voices speaking into that. Okay, just in case you're new to our church or, or church in general, um, this, is, this isn't a business. Like, I, like, as the pastor, I don't get to make decisions like, hey, let's buy a building. That's not how this works. If it was a business and I owned it, sure, I could do that, but that's not how this works. And so there's already like a multiplicity of voices speaking into it. And, uh, and so we felt confident enough in, in the um, counsel that we sought, um, and we sought it, and I'll explain a little bit more like what kind of counsel in a second, but the, that was pursued. Thirdly, in a plan, um, how do you pursue godly wisdom? Well, 
you make a plan. That's part of, I know this one's kind of circular, like what's a good plan? A plan is a good plan, right? Um, so I'll explain that in a second. But we feel like, okay, we checked off the first box, which is godly wisdom. The next thing in there says, through skillful wisdom. So, you know, some people can be godly wise. <laughs> um, don't be offended by this. Some people can have a lot of godly wisdom, but that doesn't always necessarily mean they have practical wisdom in every part of life, okay? Um, in other words, there could be somebody who's really spiritual. That doesn't mean I want them fixing my car, okay? I will pray for you. Don't let me touch your car. You will die, okay? And so, um, so there was skillful wisdom. And so we didn't just pursue godly wisdom. We pursued skillful wisdom. And what that meant was, what is... What does financing look like? What does banking look like? Who do we need to talk to? What does rehab look like? What does maintenance look like? Um, what does the real estate market look like? Um, what does the community of Monclova look like? Um, what does the drive times for our current congregation look like? Um, what happens if everyone who lives X amount apart leaves? Can we still afford the building? <laughs> These are questions that we sought through and, and thought through when making this decision, okay? And so I want you to know that nothing is rushed. Nothing has been, let's just push forward and God will figure it out. No, he gives us wisdom to have these conversations. And so we had those conversations. Third part of a plan, according to this, is through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built. And by understanding, it is established. What's the third element of making up a good plan? It's godly wisdom. It's skillful wisdom. Okay, um, and then it's understanding. So it's understanding this situation. For us, this meant understanding our current congregation. Where's the, is there a buy-in for a building? Um, uh, what is understanding the times and the circumstances? Understanding the timeline of getting the building and moving into it. Understanding um, how COVID has affected our church and all of those things. And so we saw, I sat down and we worked through all of that. I know I'm pushing hard here, but I'm building a case here, friends, on, on, on the thought that has gone into this. Because before we leave today, I'm going to ask you to give money to our campaign, okay? And when I do, I want you so convinced that this is a good investment. Not just because the heart is in it, but because the heart, the mind, and the soul, that'll be next week, are in it. And so how do you make a good plan through that? By the way, particularly those of you who are young out there, um, when you say, I've got plans. Okay, I just told you how to make a good plan, okay? Um, and so work through that process in your own life. This works for all of us at all ages, by the way. That's a good plan. And secondly then, um, Proverbs 24, 27, or the second question, what makes for a good plan? So that was how you make a plan. This is the second part of it, what makes for a good plan? Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your work outside and get it ready for yourself in the field. Afterward, build your house and establish a home. If there was um, a, a, like a modern tie into this verse, it would say, make sure you sit down with an architect before you buy a lot of supplies. Make sure you have a clue what you're doing before you jump into it. This is biblical wisdom. And it's saying, what makes for a good plan? What makes for a good plan? Planning ahead. Knowing what you're doing before you just trigger a beginning. So what did this look like for us? Well, on the spiritual side, friends, we've been doing this for four years. 
And some of you, you've been a part of it from the beginning. And so when I say in that video, the sounds and the sights and the smells of the Holiday Inn, you're immediately going to the free breakfast buffet that was in there that we weren't actually allowed to eat of, but many of you did, okay? The only time in the history of our church that we had free coffee right there uh, was from the Holiday Inn, right? Um, And the smells, there was, you know, hotels just smell like hotels. And for some of us, that's burned into our, you know, our nostrils forever. And, and, And so for four years, For four years, we have been preparing outside for a moment like this. We've been preparing this way through a vision to be the church that Jesus came to plant. It's right here. It shows us what we have to do. We don't have to create a blueprint for what the church that Jesus came to plant looks like because he already made one. It's a mission to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. It's a a culture. The church is a family, okay? But it's beyond that. It's a proper leadership structure. It's a great staff, both of which we have. It's proper um, financial planning. Let me just be very practical with you. Had we not four years ago set aside the parameters which we did, then in no way right now would we be having this conversation. And so there are many of you out there, by the way, um, college students or like young adults or like that. And you're like, you want to buy a house in four years. Okay. Get yourself together or you're never going to be able to buy a house in four years. Okay. Like do some stuff now. It's called Dave Ramsey, right? Like Google it and get yourself started because there are things in the future that you can't do unless you plan right now a certain way. And so let me just tell you how that conversation goes. A non-denominational four-year church with revenue under $500,000 calls and asks for a million-dollar loan. That conversation lasts about 30 seconds, usually. Unless you say, oh, we have 30% down payment saved up. Well, why don't we set up a meeting? Changes the conversation. I'm trying to convince you of something. And so for four years, we've been building for this moment, for four years. And so setting ourselves up the way we did, and by the way, let me just show you something too that is both spiritual and practical, that that, that doing that, doing that this way and saving that amount of money for this down payment never as a church hindered our ability to be generous. And so we've set aside 10% of our income as a church from day one, And we have never failed to be generous when we have been asked either um, by people needs inside of our church or outside of our church. And that's just a reminder to all of us, by the way, that we ought to set up our lives in such a way that it never hinders our ability to be generous. And so I don't buy a house or I don't buy a car or I don't buy a thing that um, inhibits me from being properly generous. And so that's how we set ourselves up as a church so we could be both in a position to strike when there was something to strike for and be generous. And a proper plan helps you get into that place. That's why the guy in Proverbs is writing about this because he knows these two things work together. And so we've been laying this structure for four years. We've been preparing outside, waiting for the right moments. Now, here's the fun thing. All of this structure building, right? Um, by the way, I know I skipped a part. If you're like following the house metaphor, um, you're like, well, where's the foundation? If, you, if that was all the structure, where's the foundation? Jesus. 
<laughs> that scripture already says that for us. Jesus is the foundation, right? Christ is our foundation. And we've been kind of building a church structure, right? Following his lead over the last four years. Now, this is the fun part where the structure is up, okay? The foundation is Jesus. And now we get to step in and add fun things inside the house. And one of the fun things we get to add to our church now is a permanent location. That's awesome. This is like, this is the really fun part. And so in order to do that, then, um, we needed a plan within that. And so we came up with a plan. And here was the plan. It has three phases. Phase one of the plan is this, raise funds. Raise funds. And so uh, we decided we needed $100,000 uh, in order to uh, kind of move through this the way that we wanted to or we think is best, okay? And in that is $75,000 in one-time cash by August 2nd. And then $5,000 a month for five months, um, totaling $100,000. You guys are good at math. You figured that out. That's 100 grand. So 75 by August 2nd, five grand a month until the end of the year. And in order to raise that money, we've asked you to prayerfully consider and, and to let the Holy Spirit lead you in gifts in order to do this. And so that's phase one. And um, already you guys have been generous. People are dropping things in and all of that kind of stuff. We still have a ways to go. Next week, we'll give you an update on where we're at um, because then that'll leave us like a week left. We've got two weeks from right now to do it. And um, I would encourage all of you again to everyone participate and everyone participate as the Holy Spirit would lead. And so we'll get there when that happens. And so that is phase one. And, and by the way, this is, this is above and beyond normal giving. And um, I want you to know that... Um, I'm not going to tell you an amount or anything, but Lindsay and I are just as committed to this as anybody. And so um, we would never ask you guys to do anything that we're not going to do personally. And so um, we're committed on both sides, the one-time gift and the monthly thing, above and beyond our normal giving here. And um, because this is our home too. And, and this is our church too. And so and Lindsay and I have gone back around the table like three times. <laughs> we started at an amount, then we circled back around, then we circled back around, and we're just trying to follow God's leading in this. And that's what I would encourage you guys to do as well. Now, phase two of this is rehabbing the building, okay? So phase one, raise the funds. Phase two, I'm, I'm kind of laying out the plan here. Phase two is rehabbing the building. Now, when we say rehab, we're not talking about like tearing things down or massive construction projects, okay? We're talking about paint and flooring for the most part. This is exciting. You know, there have already been, we did the math, there have already been about 350 volunteer hours already put into this building from our church already in a week. <laughs> 350 hours of volunteer time. So you guys are awesome. Um, there was a group of people that were here at 7 a.m. on Friday doing landscaping, and um, they were sweaty by the time they were done. We had 50 people here Wednesday nights. Um, I think we had 50 people painting one hallway, okay? Um, it was a little madness. But here's the deal, too, by the way. Um, I will take a little bit of paint on the floor, okay? Or a little bit of, hey, we need to teach you how to paint with somebody who's being generous with their time and wants to learn, okay? That's, we're just going to be okay with that a little bit. It doesn't mean we're not going to do things professional. It doesn't mean it's not going to look at the end. But we're going to realize... Um, when somebody wants to serve, that's a good thing. That's a cool thing. We're going to honor that. Um, and, and so phase two is rehabbing this building. And um, even in that part, I'm going to show you a plan because we're going to have to stage this up. So stage one, stage one of rehabbing the building. Here's the Excel document. Oh, it's not. She took it out of Excel. Okay, but here's, the, here's um, stage one. 
Okay, and there's a budget for you. For those of you who like numbers, I don't know why I went to quarters on some of them and not the others, but um, those are your actual numbers. And then on the, in the middle there are people who have already said, hey, we're going to take that. Hopefully all of you knew that you were going to take that, okay, if you're in the middle line. There's the plan right there. And so y'all are reading it right now. Let me just tell you what it means. Um, it means that we had to sit down and decide, okay, so what if we only raise $23,000, um, $27,000? By the way, we're already above $27,000 in pledges. But um, if we only did, what, this is what we would do first, okay? Um, remember, appealing to your mind. We have a plan, okay? Uh, and so this is the plan. We're going to get that lobby um, looking like we think it should look, okay? I'm just going to say it this way. When I talk about this stuff, I just want to know, like, uh, and in no way do I want to dishonor the people who were previously in here because they did such an amazing job with this building and they keep it so darn clean and they've kept it in such great shape. Um, and so this is style stuff, okay? We're just talking style stuff. And so we've got a plan for the building. Uh, we got a plan for the lobby. Um, we already hit the hallway paint, so that's done, amen, okay? And we came in slightly under budget on that. Um, we've got some stuff we got to do in the auditorium and then we've got to get all of of our kids' stuff ready to go, okay? And so that way, when people walk in to the lobby, when they walk into the auditorium and they walk into the kids' rooms, we know those are done. And if that's the only money we get, then we'll just put walls up in the other parts of the hallway and people won't even know they exist. Cool? That's the plan, okay? And so this is stage one. And in order to move past stage one, we have to raise the money and we have to have the help. And you guys are the help. Um, there's only one person right now that we're planning on paying to do any of this work, and that's the lobby floor. Everything else, volunteer. Got a guy who's a professional painter who's volunteered to paint the lobby, um, which if you've seen those curves and all that kind of stuff, like, we need a pro. So that's stage one. Stage two, if we get past it, which we will. Stage two is this, volunteer room, the youth room, conference room, and some offices. Cool? That's stage two. And so we're just going to keep moving right through this. And as we get one stage, then we'll move right into the next stage. So stage one is done. Stage two is done. By the way, we think that the reason I'm showing you this, two, two reasons. Well, there's a lot of reasons. But two of them is this. Um, one, I think, I think when we do things well, it honors God. Okay? Secondly, I think it honors you. And it is very important. And um, when I talked to Tom and Frank about this, and I said, hey, guys, how, what do you want me to say? And how do, you, how do you want me to present this? They said, here's the one thing I want, from their perspective, those are elders, this is the one thing I want you to communicate to people. That, that when, when they give, we take that seriously. And that as, as, as effectively um, as we can, we're going to use that money for the advancement of the gospel. And this building just needs to be a reflection of who we already are as a church. And so um, who are we as a church? We want things to be simple, but we want them to be meaningful. We want things to be um, cost-effective, neither cheap nor glamorous. Um, we, we want things to be inviting. We want this to reflect the style of who we are as a body, and we want to honor the gift that you give. And that's important to us. Part of phase two, by the way, was talking to experts Talking to experts. And so part of that was, um, there's a lot of people on our staff team, um, myself included, our elders that have been through lots of church building projects before, okay? Um, I feel like the first seven years of my ministry life was just building projects, okay? And watching these things happen. And so um, a lot of us have been through this kind of stuff before and um, have seen how this is done well. Um, it's calling people and asking questions like, what flooring actually lasts? This right here, we've been using it for 20 years. Make sure you get it. 
This is what we've learned. And learning from mistakes, okay? And then um, not all, we're going to learn from their mistakes so we don't make them. That's the, that's the point. That's the plan. Another good piece of advice. Okay? So this is stage two. Oh, stage three and four. You can throw those up there. We don't even plan on getting to these, okay? At least, well, not, I mean, someday, not immediately. Um, but we want to get to stage one and two before our grand opening, and then stage three and stage four will happen afterwards. And, uh, and so that's the future sometime. You're going to see, like, um, auditorium floor, like this floor right here. Um, you know, I don't even know what we want to do with this floor. But, uh, you know, like, that'll come down the road at some point. And so I want you to know that we're not being, like, so aggressive of saying, we're going to do everything, and we're going to do it all for 75 grand, and um, we're going to use, you know, 39-cent flooring, and it's going to wear out in two months. That's, that's not what's happening here. Okay? All right. It's question two then. What makes a good plan? Preparing beforehand. Question three. Question three. What is the result of a good plan? What's the result of a good plan? Proverbs 24.4. By the way, this is all in the same chapter. It's all in the same chapter. And if you read the chapters, they do, uh, if you read the Proverbs, they do this interesting thing where there will be a theme that kind of works its way through a particular proverb, but they're not always right next to each other. And you kind of have to hop around a little bit to see how they're all connected. And in Proverbs chapter 24, there's this theme of the home running through it, but it's disconnected from itself. Proverbs 24, 4 says this, and by knowledge, it's, that's the home, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. What's the result of a good plan? The home is filled with all the pleasant and precious riches of life. That's what we're all aiming for here. That we would enjoy the pleasant and precious riches that life has to offer us. You know, Lindsay and I's first home was 826 square feet. That was small, even for two people and a baby. And we bought it and it looked one way. And by the time we were done, it looked completely different. Um, that's the beauty of one of the great things about marrying Lindsay, right? Not that any of you else will experience that, but okay. Um, and in that, okay, there were, there were the result of the, the home, okay, that Lindsay created is this just joy. Like I was always the single guy who wanted a house that other people wanted to be at, but had no idea how to create that environment, right? Because my old crappy couches and inability to paint never created this like, like, you know, you know the type of setting that you walk in and you're like, it's just nice to be here. That's the practical side. But then there's something different on the, like the spiritual side, isn't there? You know what this place feels like to me already? Home. You know why? Because you're here. Because you guys are here. And so there's already this part of home that's already here because the church family is gathering. And so what we're talking about in this whole campaign is not once we get this building all designed the way that we want it to, then it'll feel like home. No, what we're talking about through this whole thing is let's create an environment so that our family can grow and thrive in a better environment. That's what we're talking about. See, we are not, we are a spiritual house already that is looking for a permanent place to meet. We are not buying a building to become a physical location that then develops a spiritual environment. Does that make sense? It's like when um, people say, hey, we need to move so that we can fix our family's problems. That's probably not going to help. <laughs> Those problems are probably going to come with you. 
Our spiritual home has already been created. Now we're just looking for a permanent location to invite other people into it and create an environment where we can grow up in Christ and win people for Christ. I'm going to practice something. This is what I'm going to practice. That when I tell people where I'm going when I'm coming to this building, I'm going to practice saying this, hey, I'm going to the building. And I'm going to really try hard to make that a part of my language. I'm going to the building because this is what I don't want to do. I don't want to get to the point where I say, hey, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I'm going to the church. And now I know this is built deep into our psyche. Deep into it. And we all say this all the time. But I think if we, if we practice this at the beginning, we can remind ourselves that the, the church and who we are is this people. And now what we're doing is talking about developing a building so that we might be able to add to it, so that we might be able to thrive even more as a family. When it talks about the knowledge, and by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. When I get to that phrase, precious and pleasant riches, I can not help but think of Ephesians chapter 1. And so in closing today, I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, this is one of, uh, there's a lot of beautiful passages of Scripture, let's be honest. It's a big book. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Hannah, now you can come play pretty music. This is Lindsay's sister, like you didn't know already, okay? Just look at her. Let me read this to you. In Ephesians chapter, end of Ephesians chapter one. And, and before I read it, let me, let me tell you what my hope is here again. I hope tonight that, that if you're a mind person, that I've convinced you that the plan that is in place is a good plan. That it is a plan worth funding. See, in the heart, it drives up sometimes this emotion to give. And that's not bad because some of us need a, a little emotional plug to give every time. But sometimes then in the emotion of something, we say, oh, I'm going to give something. And then the emotion wears off and either we never do or we reconsider it and we go, wait a minute, is this really a good idea? And what I'm trying to do through these three weeks is to connect all three of these things so that when your heart is one, and then your mind is one, and then your soul, next week we'll talk about that, is one, the thing you really do, you really do dig down deep and you really ask the question, okay, what's my share in this? What's my part to play in this? Because phase three of all of this is relaunching our church body or re-engaging our church body to go accomplish its mission to help all people experience redemption and to live in freedom. And so we don't just stop once we get the building all set. That's just setting us up to go now do the work of ministry. See, phase one and phase two of this whole campaign are just the setup to get us to phase three, which is relaunching this church to help people be one to Jesus and to be grown up in faith. But what's the result of a good plan? See, a long time ago in a garden, sin entered into the world, brokenness won. And in Genesis chapter three, I always teach, says that God walked in, but I always, I think it was Jesus in the garden. In Genesis three came down and he made a prediction, a plan. He said, I will come someday. 
And so in his plan, God had this perfect plan and he laid the plan all out in advance. And the plan was the coming of Christ one day. And Christ is referred to um, as the most precious of things. There's a parable that refers to him as a, a precious jewel. There's um, in First Peter or Second Peter, we're told uh, that there are precious promises and all those precious promises are the promises of salvation. And so what's the result of a good plan? The result of the good plan that started in Genesis 3 was the gospel, was Christ. The result of a good plan is that you then get to bear the fruit of the plan. Ephesians 1 says it this way. This is the end result of God's plan. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That was the fulfillment of his plan. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the result of the plan started in the garden was Christ and his salvation. And then the result of the plan of God's redemption was that the beauty, the, 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 the pleasantness and the precious riches, as it refers to in Proverbs 24, 3, would then be carried on through his church. And so friend, what's gonna be the result of this plan for us? A more our style building? Sure. No, but more than that, an environment and in a place for us to continue to be the church that we've been and to continue to be the church that God will call us to be. To pray that that would include salvation for people that you play sports with, go to school with, go to work with, neighbors that it would be a place that you grow up in faith and in Christ, where your kids grow up with a faith that will last them their whole life. These will be the pleasant riches and beauty and the result of a good plan. In order to accomplish that plan, I'll say again, everyone involved, everyone involved as the Holy Spirit would lead. Let's pray. So God, You've given us minds to think. And the Proverbs here teach us the, the value of good planning. And in that, we of course know that that doesn't mean there's a lack of faith. It doesn't mean there's a lack of your sovereignty. It means often this is how you work and how you move. And so I'm praying, Lord, that you would speak to each of us tonight and through the rest of this series, exactly as we need to hear, so that we would each play our role. Father, that our church is the entirety of us coming together. The part of your plan is each of us playing the role that you have in mind and that through your Holy Spirit, you reveal that. So Father, I can live in great trust 
We're not gonna beg, <laughs> shame or guilt, not to volunteer, not to give, not to do anything. Holy Spirit, we trust you to lead. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.